episode four of Courtside Indiana podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed our little intro music there that we've been able to throw together. Uh, doing something a little different now with the fourth episode, going on my own for this for this topic. Eh, we're not going to make a habit of this. There's only so much of one person anybody could stand to listen to, I think. But uh, but at the end, we'll also have a conversation we recorded earlier in the week with, with Zach Tyler, uh, who covers Northern Indiana for us at Courtside Indiana, but he also is very well-versed in the Crossroads League. So we previewed that a little bit last on our podcast from Tuesday, and we will have that at the end of this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about, or at least right now, we're going to talk about the recruiting process, and we're in that time of year. I mean, we will be heading into our first open period, our first evaluation period of the spring. So it's probably a good time to talk about this since it's not going to happen. And so with with COVID-19, the shutdowns that it's created uh, is really starting to impact our summer schedule. It already has impacted our summer schedule. Basically, there have been there's no events through April. There's already events in May that have started to get postponed, even canceled. People are asking a lot of questions about are the, the, the events that have been postponed, when are they going to be? Are summer teams especially going to, um, going to adjust? And, you know, what types of events will they play in? And the NCAA has already given a little bit of their answer. They have just completely shut down their coaches through May. Now, how that impacts NAIA coaches and junior college coaches, we don't know that just yet. We may not have a full idea of what that looks like. Uh, maybe it's already been announced and we've missed it, but we won't know what that fully looks like until there's actually games to be played. You know, then we start rolling into June with what, at least for Indiana, is an outstanding season of, of high school basketball because it's sort of like a mini season. And the first chance we get to see some of these kids in new roles as younger kids step up with kids graduating, um, you know, hopefully we get to a point where we get June and then we get July in full and we get a little bit of normalcy and then see what happens after that. But, but how, as it affects the recruiting process for, especially for the class of 2021, under normal circumstances, the recruiting process is just a prolonged negotiation. I mean, sure. There's opportunities for kids to, you know, be seen and obviously get to get to go to games, maybe even get a chance to go to practices. But but very few kids control the recruiting process. And what it becomes the important part of this is just the relationship building with coaches, with assistants, and, and as well as just general networking. And I think those are some of the things we're going to talk about. I mean, the NCAA controls the calendar and certainly controls the recruiting rules. And meanwhile, the coaches control the scholarships. So kids very few times have much control over it other than just gathering as much information as they can. Sure, there gets a point with some kids, maybe even with many kids, where as the, the back end of their recruiting starts to take shape and they narrow down their list or the schools they like, even if they don't maybe announce a public list, they do somewhat get a final say on, on a short list of schools. But by and large the uh, the kids have very few of these kids have any control over the recruiting process and and it, it just goes back to the point of it being a negotiation so so what what normally looks what what does the recruiting cycle normally look like for for most that have been involved and you know this is sort of 
this is definitely old material for for guys that are entering the class of 2021 and guys that are entering, entering the class of 2022 or th- that are in the classes of 2021 and 2022 unless you've got an older sibling that have been through it you are in a situation where this is new ground the recruiting calendar is is right now is, is screwed up normally division one schools would have these two weekends at the end of april to evaluate kids in an aau setting they would also have opportunities to come to your school during the week and and watch workouts or maybe even get a chance to watch some type of scrimmaging going on with with kids just at their school um the the contact rules certainly you get a chance to communicate with coaches and, and that hasn't changed because none of the evaluation period none of the recruiting periods impact phone calls or impact communication that's a separate set of rules but the other thing that's been impacted it, are visits and the ncaa started opening up official visits even a couple of years ago and, and, and enabled juniors or enabled kids in their junior year to start making some official visits to allow them to prolong the process of gathering information. And it certainly doesn't change the time frame in which they have to make a decision, but it does give them more time to do it instead of just trying to cram it in to the fall. So a lot of that is, is gone. And we, as I mentioned earlier, there is no recruiting calendar for the April and May. Division two coaches are even off the road when normally they would have the first two thirds of, of May as an opportunity to see kids. So, you know, we're going to talk later about how you can get around some of that, not get around it, but how you can work through that and, and use some tools to help you, you know, continue that networking process. As it relates academically, obviously the academic rules don't change. You still have to worry about your core GPA. And my best guess is is that it's not going to impact at all how your high school relates to the NCAA. If you don't know, the NCAA has a list for each school that it's certified, a, a, core, a list of core classes that you can take. I'm sure by now most of the kids who were impacted by this podcast know about where they can find this list. If not, we'll try to put a link in the show notes. You just have to remember to do that. Um, so your, how the NCAA interacts with your school and your grades, it probably isn't going to change a whole lot. If you're at a prep school that may or may not be part of a, you know, of a, a, a ruling organization like the IHSAA, there may be some more scrutiny. And the NCAA puts more scrutiny on prep school academics than, than they do normal, you know, than they do regular school academics. Um, but the bottom line is, is that, you can't let your grades slip. You can't look at this time as some sort of vacation. So you have to continually work through your coursework, however you're handling your e-learning, however you're handling, handling distance learning, um, you know, especially for kids that you know, may or may not have great access to internet, you're going to have to really make sure you keep up on your academics. Of course, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you, you have probably access or somebody in your family has access to, you know, technology to, you know, to have good internet streams and opportunities to do that. But it's, it's very, very important to maintain your grades because you don't want to have a situation where a bad semester uh, can impact you directly on your, on your transcript. And you don't want to have a situation, especially for freshmen, you don't want to have a situation where we're not doing your work 
impacts your ability to to, to do future work. You know, right now you're building up your basics of how to, you know, understanding, you know, math, science, you know, English. I mean, all your core classes, you've got to maintain your your academic, you know, your academic schedule. You, you can't put a delay on your learning because it's going to impact you in the future, especially for you young guys. Um, and, and the other thing is it still doesn't change this process still doesn't change that you want to at some point make sure the school you're choosing or the schools you're looking at matches the academics, you know, your academic goals, whether it be the certain type of major, certain, you know, generalization of majors. And I've, I've got a little bit of a story with that um, or making sure those schools give you the opportunities to do things, be, you know, beyond graduation that don't involve sports, such as internships. You know, that's an important aspect of choosing in any school is how do they handle internships uh, just in general, let alone how do they handle internships with athletes because the athletes have extra responsibilities during the offseason, especially at the Division One level. I coached a kid from uh, Avon in the class of 2011. There was a while there where he was pretty much he wanted to he was going to be a pharmacist or he wanted to go through pharmacy school. And, you know, it the level of recruitment he was having, he was definitely getting mid-major offers and mid-major looks. He was he was getting some high-major looks as well. Butler and Purdue were part of that equation. Both of them have excellent pharmacy schools, but at the end of the day, neither one of them really you know got close to pulling the trigger on his recruiting. So he had to figure out different ways to satisfy what he wanted, or change other things like you know how far away from home he wanted to be, and the schools that were recruiting him had to also figure out. How were they going to fit their academic offerings uh, to what he wanted to do? And he ended up going to Wright State, and instead of in, getting into pharmacy, he ended up going into biomedical, biomedical engineering. And all of that was a precursor for him to go to law school, and all of that was a precursor for him to be a, you know, what he's doing now, which is patent attorney, which is you know also intellectual property attorney. So. So sometimes you don't always get exactly what you're looking for, but if you put in the work with schools and you, you match more of what you want, um, then they can give you other ways to figure it out, or you can find other ways to figure it out. And again, none of that changes because of this virus. You still have to put an emphasis on the academic side of it. How does it impact on exposure? Well, we, we've discussed some of that, you know, and, it, and it, we will have some points in this podcast where it does get a little bit redundant. Um, but again, kids have very, very few kids have control over their process. And so you've got to take care of some of the recommendations we'll be making later. You've, you've got to make sure you, you're proactive on that and, and taking care of, of different ways you can get a chance to, to get to know coaches and have coaches get to get to know you. Um, one thing I tell a lot of kids that we're involved with over the years is if you're not getting recruited by high major schools, odds are you're going to, it's a pretty quiet existence until, until your junior year. And there's a decent shot that, you know, if you, if you do have, if you are attracting mid-major schools, a lot of those guys will, a lot of those guys will recruit you starting you know, your sophomore summer. But for the most part, I would say 
90% of schools overall and probably 75% of Division I schools are really recruiting one class at a time. You know, so that puts that puts a position if you're not getting, you know, if you're not getting phone calls, you're not getting a chance to be invited to visits or, or really getting to games, you know, as an opportunity to learn more about the program. Sometimes you can think nobody's interested in you. And it's important not to feel that way because those other schools then will come in strong during your junior year and, and maybe even, and maybe it's not until your, you know, your junior spring and summer. Um, the NAIA schools, Division II schools, Division III schools, a lot of those schools, with a couple of exceptions, um, but a lot of those schools don't get too heavily involved with kids until they're 17 and under summer, just because they know that they're not going to sort of, as I say, you know, you know, they're not going to have the listening. They're not going to have your attention. You know, everybody wants to be a Division One player. Every, most kids think they are a Division One player. And most kids that get this deep into the process have that kind of confidence. And sometimes it's warranted and, and sometimes it's not. But it's, it's important to know that when you get an opportunity to be recruited, when you get an opportunity to communicate with coaches, you, you have to communicate back with them even if you don't think that they're going to be in your plans because you never know. You don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to blow anybody off. You don't want to big time anybody because there might come a time when you need them as, as much as they want you. And, um, you know, high majors have the reach to get a recruit's attention, you know, and they, they have the ability to, to get a kid to, re, to commit sooner in the recruiting process. You know, you will see sophomores commit to high major programs. You know, very rarely will you even see sophomores commit to, to mid-major programs. You know, there used to be a time, most of these guys, you know, today, you know, it's only been the last 15 years when, when Butler was viewed as a destination school, you know, and really not until, you know, Gordon Hayward and all those guys started putting them on the map, did it become a school where kids grew up in the Indianapolis area, especially growing up wanting to go to Butler. It was always about Indiana. It was always about Purdue. Every now and then it was Notre Dame, but like, but before that, Notre Dame had, a, or Butler had a hard time, you know, really getting too deeply involved with kids and, until they started, you know, until they started turning the corner. Of course, the last decade they've had have definitely, the last decade they've had have definitely, you know, changed the, you know, changed that situation almost entirely. Um, something I touched on earlier, some mid-majors will start to recruit during, uh, during their 16 and under summer. You will see those those schools because kids can't be called by colleges until mid June, heading into their heading into the summer of their before their junior year. So basically, that's their 16 and under summer. So schools can't communicate with you, or they can't proactively communicate with you um, without a proxy, <laughs> and a proxy would be like a, you know one of your coaches. Uh, you can always call them. You can call them at any time, but they can't communicate with you until that the mid June. I think it's June twenty first is that date. Usually every summer, that's when they can start communicating with kids. And now there's the rules are so much more relaxed than they used to be. They can communicate with kids via via direct messaging. They can communicate with kids via texting. They can 
communicate with kids via, via telephone calls. And I want to underscore again, kids can always and parents can always call the coaches. But there's only a certain window that, that they can call you, and it doesn't start until the June before your, juniors, before your junior academic year. Um, and it's at that point you will start to see some mid-majors get involved and, and make scholarship offers and, and really look to bring kids on campus and, and, and really get more seriously involved with kids in the recruiting process. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times that will be more local schools or maybe even to some extent regional schools. Like you'll see a lot of Mac and Missouri Valley schools obviously get involved with Indiana kids. Horizon League schools will get involved with Indiana kids. You know, you can start to see now there's, you know, there's some sophomores that definitely have some offers. I don't know of any freshmen right now that have any offers, in, in, at least out of Indiana. Um, but, but the mid-majors will get more involved uh, during your 16 and under spring and, and 16 and under summer. Of course, a lot of that is based on the fact that they get a chance to see some of those kids play in April, and now we're not going to get that. So how that's impacted, you know, I don't know yet. And that's, that's something we're going to have to learn in real time. And, you know, we'll figure that out in June. You start seeing some offers fly in June when phone calls can start getting, you know, start being made to kids and, and, and kids start taking visits um, in, in the month of June, especially the, um, you know, we'll learn then the impact of it because usually there's about a half dozen to a dozen kids that will pick up scholarship offers uh, during their sophomore year. You know, and the other thing, the one final thing before we take a quick break is that, you know, mid-majors will recruit kids hoping that some of them will slip through the cracks because there are some kids that are borderline high major, mid-major kids. And sometimes their decision isn't based on who the biggest school is or what the brightest light is. Sometimes it's the best fit. And honestly, that's what I value more. I don't know that you should definitely aim just to get the highest offer you can. And you definitely don't want to be in a situation where you're just collecting offers. Sure, it's, it's nice to get offers. Sure, it's impressive to get offers. You feel good about it. But at the end of the day, you have to find the right place for you. And, you know, and that's not always with the biggest and the, and the baddest school, the, the best conference, you know, or the, the conference, you, you know, you grew up watching on TV. Sometimes it's about finding the best fit athletically. Sometimes it's about finding the best fit academically, you know, and that, that takes a lot of time and a lot of diligence. So what we're going to do now is take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some recommendations. Um, take a look at that, some ideas on how to handle the situation now that we've gone through some of the basics. Hopefully you're not too bored of this, 15 minutes of talking. Uh, then after we get through the recommendations, we're going to take another break, and we'll go through some Q&A. And then we'll get to Zach Tyler's uh, breakdown of the Crossroads League um, recruiting or, yeah, the, the kids coming into the Crossroads League. All right, we're back. What for you is maybe just a split second of a break. Uh, for me, it was about five minutes. But um, so now we're going to look at some recommendations. And in a lot of ways, these recommendations, a lot of them would apply under normal circumstances. You know, there's only so much of this process that we can change and only so much of this process that that can be any different just because we don't have games right now. But there's still opportunities 
here that you should probably consider doing, you know, going forward, even if it's a normal situation. So if you're the class of 2022 or class of 2023, you can find out some ways you can, you know, start the process for you preparing for it, d definitely in terms of communicating with schools. So I'm going to go through some recommendations here and, you know, try to explain them quickly, and then uh, we'll get to the Q&A part as well. The, the first thing I would focus on is, or be, be wary of, are all these websites wanting you to pay for recruiting profiles. And I want to make sure I say this carefully. What I wouldn't do is I wouldn't pay just for a recruiting profile. Just wouldn't do it. And I definitely wouldn't pay extra for one. Now, if you're paying for, you know, content and with that comes a recruiting profile, or if you buy, you know, if you pay into a recruiting file and you, and you get certain content that you like, you know, if you're doubling up on that money, then, then that's different. You know, I know there's some opportunities out there, you know, where if you get a chance, you know, you subscribe to this, you, you get to read this and then you, you get a chance to have your recruiting profile that's fine. But what I wouldn't do is pay a bunch of extra money for it. And I definitely would not just ante up for recruiting service. That, that's all they do. And, and here are some other options for that. First of all, there's Huddle. Huddle is magnificent. All right. And it's, I don't know. And I didn't examine what the cost is for players. I don't think it's anything, but from a coaching standpoint, if your school isn't doesn't have a huddle account, you need to get on your AD because I know your basketball coach would appreciate it. And I've had a chance to explore it thanks to a couple of coaches giving me some access to the back end of their stuff. And it's tremendous. You're seeing more and more of these highlight videos, and we'll get into the whole highlight video versus game video issue later. But you see all these highlight videos that these kids are creating. Maybe their coach is creating them. I don't know. But, but the tools are there for them to be created pretty simply. And it's, it's an impressive, it's an impressive technology. It's, it's not only impressive in terms of content as someone who writes a lot of code, like I do, it's impressive to see how they put all that together. And I know the huddle, the basic huddle stuff costs 400 bucks for a school to do it. I don't think that's per sport. Um, and then some coaches have decided to ante up a little bit more to get a more, um, to get a deeper package, but I would definitely be hounding your athletics director, not your school coach, because he doesn't necessarily have control over that type of money, but I would definitely be hounding your athletics director. If your school, if your basketball program is not on huddle, do your basketball coach a favor and just hound the crap out of your AD. You know, now a lot of Indiana schools are on huddle, um, I don't know that I've found any just in quick searches that aren't, but I'm just looking for certain kids and, and I've been able to find a little bit of what I'm looking for. And again, we'll get into the whole games versus highlight stuff. And, and there are some limitations there from like my perspective, but the other thing is max preps. Max preps is as far as I know, completely free. It's definitely free on the, on the stat side of it. And I know some coaches don't like to put their stats out in public and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But what Max Preps allows you to do is claim your profile. And if you're if you have a school where your school coach is putting the stats up and you get a chance to claim your profile, now all of a sudden you have access 
to your game by game, your game logs, your total stats, you know, especially for the, the incoming seniors, the current juniors, you probably have two or three years of stats on there. You've got a chance to sort of build your own resume with, with facts and not just conjecture and not just anecdotal, you know, evidence. Everybody's going to talk their kid up. Even coaches, they're going to talk their kid up. Even the ones that are going to be more objective and a little bit more conservative are going to talk their kid up, and it's going to be a lot better if they've got numbers to prove it and they've got video to prove it. So huddle and max preps, um, huddle and max preps are, are two outstanding tools for for kids to use. One of the other reasons why I'm, I'm not a huge believer in just the, the simple recruiting profile is because if you're a class of 2021 kid, odds are most of these in-state schools have seen you, especially especially the, the lower, like the non-D1s. Odds are the all the Crossroads teams have seen you. All the, all the Division three schools have seen you. All the other NAI schools have seen you. I mean, there's nine Indiana schools at the NAI level that reached the, the final 16 this year. There, there's a lot of talented schools or talented programs out there that are recruiting kids. And they, and they have seen most of these kids play either live or on video. So they've had a chance to see you and make decisions. And, and so we'll, we'll touch on something too with the, with these scouting services or with these recruiting profiles. So these in-state schools and, and to some extent, the surrounding States have had chances to see your guys play. And, and maybe they've made decisions where they they're just not going to recruit him. And, and that could be, you know, and, and to some extent, I'm not saying you got to live with it, but at the same time, if you do a recruiting profile, you're not getting their attention. You're getting the attention of schools that are in other parts of the country that don't get a chance to see you play. So if that's your intention, then that may be the one reason why you, you would go all in on a, on a, on a recruiting service. Okay. And I mean a recruiting service that charges the families. Um, but if it's because you want Marion or Indiana Wesleyan or IU Kokomo or, or you know, IU East or any of those schools to recruit you, they're not relying on that information. You know, if I'm wrong, I know a couple of guys in the business that will, will let me know I'm wrong. But they're, they're relying on talking to your coaches. They're relying on videos of your games. They're relying on going to see your games. And, and unfortunately, they're relying on spring that's not going to happen. But they're not going to be changed by information on a recruiting profile. They may be able to garner some academic information off of it, but at, but at, the, at the basic core of it, these guys are going to do all they can to find as much game video as they can on, on your son or on you and, and talk to your school coaches. And all that stuff is free. It's all free for you. So there's no reason to spend a bunch of extra money unless you just want to broaden your search to areas that aren't, you know, that areas that wouldn't get, normally get a chance to see you play. Maybe it's a part of the country that you want to move to. Maybe you're tired of Indiana weather and you want to go south. You know, you want to go play at an NAIA school in Florida or something, you know, or you want, hell, even the Division II schools in Florida recruit Indiana well. So even there you're getting in situations where, you know, you're not, you're going to have opportunities to get seen and, and maybe they've seen you and they've made a decision to not recruit you. But 
you know, if your idea is to broaden your horizons a little bit, I can see where that would be an issue or that would be an option. But if you're just talking about schools that are in Indiana, schools that are kind of maybe in the, the Midwest that find it easy to get Indiana kids or easier to get Indiana kids, I'm not sure those specialized recruiting profiles are going to do much for you. And I'll reiterate, if you're getting a profile with content that you purchase, that's different. All right. Um, games versus highlights. No highlight film has ever shown a missed shot unless it's, you know, like a buzzer beater or something. But, but highlights are, are cut and paste. You know, they're, they're, there's cutscenes, So you don't ever get any context. All you're seeing is makes. Anybody can look good on a highlight film. I mean, anybody. Maybe not me, but, but you know what I mean. Any kid that, that gets a lot of, you know, that gets decent minutes, there's going to be enough footage of that kid to put together a good highlight film. All right. Now, highlight films are great for social media. Highlight films are cool. Highlight films are, are, good, are a good way to introduce yourself to a college if you want to send that along. Um, posting it on social media is, is fun for their friends. Hmm, I don't know that. Sorry, that's Alexa coming in the background there. Um, actually kind of scared me a little bit. But, but for the most part, when you're dealing with college coaches, you, they want full games. They want to see your best. They want to see you how you play when you're at when you're struggling, and they they don't want to just see a, a cut and paste video of you hitting shots, because anybody can doctor that up and make them look make you look really good. Um, you know, coaches they want to know how hard you play when things are going wrong. They want to know if you're competing defensively. Do you rebound? Do you do the things in it during a game that that you can control, even when your shot's not going in? Because let's face it, there's a lot of kids out there. There's a lot of guys in college and even the NBA who, when their shot's not going in, they get down on themselves. And too often they let their scoring define them as a player. Meanwhile, the best players, the, the teams or the guys that win games are the guys who do the other things no matter what. All right, let's move on to networking. You know, if networking is – for those that, you know, for, for younger audience, if you're listening, networking is, is meeting people, building relationships. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that, and we're going to touch on some of them. You know, it, and if you're specifically in the class of 2021, if you're recruiting, if we get into May, maybe the end of May, and your recruiting isn't moving, and, you know, and then I'm, what I mean by moving, I mean, I'm assuming you've had one or two good years of AAU behind you. I'm assuming that you've had a couple of good years of varsity behind you. Um, if your recruiting isn't moving by the middle or into May, you know, I would definitely be talking to your school coaches and definitely talk to, you know, to your summer coach and, and, and have those guys start reaching out to college coaches. Because what they can do, aside from just sort of pitch you to them a little bit, is they can get a general assessment of where you stand in the recruiting process. You know, they know who's been, they definitely know who's been to your practices. And they kind of know who's been to their games. I think for the most part, they do know who's been to their games. And you also have to understand that 
if a college is, is there to watch one of your teammates, they don't close their eyes when you're on the court. So they're watching you play as well. And you've got to know that if you're younger too, that, you know, there's going to be opportunities that you get because somebody else was there or because somebody was there to watch one of your teammates, you know, so you make sure you're always playing hard because you never know who's watching. But back to the 2021 kids, if you're in a situation where it's really kind of empty right now, or it just seems dry, or maybe you're just not getting what you want, you know, you, you really should talk to your, one of your coaches and it would, it would be better if it, if it came from your school coach. But if, it's, but if you've got a summer coach who's, who's well-connected, who can communicate with, with college coaches, they can find out where your recruiting stands at, at probably each level. You know, and it's, and it's really – I'd be really careful, too, about when you communicate with them. Again, I said don't big-time these schools because you might need them. It's, it's really important when you talk to them to not act like you're above them. And, you know, I see myself going to this Division One school, that Division One school. And, you know, the NAIA schools in this state and the Division Two schools in the state, if you don't know, the GLVC is probably the best Division Two league in the country. And there's no question the NAIA teams in Indiana are among the best in the country. So we're, we're blessed with outstanding basketball at all levels. Um, but if you're in a situation where – you know, you're just telling a smaller school coach how you think you're above their level. You're really going to turn them off because, again, networking. Almost any time you talk to a coach, it's it's almost like a job interview. You know, and I tell our guys an awful lot, kids I coach, that any anything they do or say sends a message, whether they intend for it to or not. And it may not always be the message you want to send. So be real careful with how you communicate with these coaches. Because it's, it's their job, it's their livelihood, it's their pride, and not, not pride in themselves, sometimes maybe, but, but definitely pride in their program, you know, and, and they, don't, they want guys who want to be there, and they want guys who have an open mind about being there. And I've coached kids that have gone to NAIA schools despite having multiple Division One offers. In both instances, they were looking to be closer to home. In both instances, they were looking to be in, in a more religious private setting in a smaller setting but at the end of the day they had quote bigger opportunities you know and and it's a situation where they did everything the right way to make sure they maintain contact with with programs and coaches at all levels and and in both cases it worked out when it when it comes to june especially and our where you're back into your school teams and you're looking at you know, you're probably looking at workouts three times a week. You're probably looking at games a couple times a week. You're definitely at, toward the end of the month. You're looking at, you know, maybe you're playing in the Charlie Hughes Invitational here and that's held primarily in the, in the Indianapolis area during the, the new June open periods with the NCAA. Maybe you're going to a team camp and you're getting the chance to play four or five games in, in front of college coaches. Um, you, you know, it, it's important that you don't miss – time with your school team in June it's also important that you don't miss time just for quote exposure camps you know these regional things these these camps that send you you know they just flood your emails and I'm talking about in June now it, it's it's really important that if you're considering a camp 
that you that you talk it over with your coaches, both your school coach and your summer coach. You know, if you're just getting an invitation like through a letter, odds are that's just that's just a bulk mailing. You know, if you're getting phone calls specifically inviting you or your coaches are getting phone calls and asking them to invite you, then that may become a different thing. And more and more of the NAI schools and the, and the D- Division three schools are having these prospect camps. So it's important to consider them, too. But again, when, you, when it comes time to talking about camps in June, I would stick to the, to the college camps, to the college prospect camps, whatever they want to call them. They're not allowed to call them elite camps. So they're called prospect camps. And I'm going to say something that has a little bit of a caveat to it. I like to, I like to say we need to camp up a little bit. So if, if we've got a mid-major kid or we've got a low-major kid, we might push them, you know, I mean, obviously we have to have a little communication, but we might push them to go to like a, you know, a, a bigger school camp, you know, and, and, and the main reason for that is you never know when that assistant coach is going to get a head coaching job at a different school. You know, and the, the, the perfect example is, is Jack Owens getting the Miami of Ohio job. And he had all these relationships with kids that Purdue was maybe looking at, maybe not looking at, maybe going to, maybe, maybe not going to recruit, but he liked him. And the first thing he did when he got the Miami of Ohio job is he started con- communicating with kids that he knew would be really good in the Mac. You know, and that was an opportunity. Those kids got a chance to know him going to Purdue camps. And he got a chance to know those kids as they went to Purdue camp, you know. So it's not a bad idea to camp up a level or two maybe, you know. But, but again, if you're just randomly signing up for these camps, these prospect camps, odds are you're not going to get out of it what you want unless what you want is just a day of basketball. The kids that get stuff out of that camp are kids that are getting – invites to their coaches or their coaches are going to bat for them to get into that camp. So that when the, you get those bigger camps, you know, and Purdue can't help it. You, you go to their, their prospect camp and they've got 150 kids there. Maybe it's even more. I don't know. But if you've ever been to the Corec, it's got four gyms on one side of the wall, four gyms on the other, and all those gyms are full. And there's no way in the world they get a chance to see those, those kids play. Not all of them. They typically – with a couple of maybe laps through the other gym, they typically stay on one side of that wall. And if you're on the other side of that wall, especially if you're older, you're on the other side of that wall, you are nowhere near their radar. And you're, um, you're nowhere near their radar and, and probably aren't getting a whole lot out of it other than just a day of basketball. So make sure if you're thinking about, I want to go play in this camp, I want to go play in that camp, that how you're getting into this camp you know, it's, it's, look, by rule, you're just allowed to enter any way you want. But it, it, it's much more meaningful if it's coming through your coaches. You know, they're inviting you or your coach is getting you in it. One of those two things is, is typically the best way to do that. Um, the exposure camp thing. As we get into the fall, and by fall I even mean late August, but as we get into the fall, the one thing I would also be careful of is, is these guys that just – the only time you hear from them is when it's camp time. You know, the, these guys that come in and they tell you they're promising a bunch of exposure, but what they really mean is exposure to them. And they're, if they're not going to be around the rest of the year, 
if they're not going to be around the rest of the year to promote and put time into the kids that they've seen, then all they're doing is collecting your money. You know, we've got two guys in, in this state that do a pretty good job of running camps, Eric Gardner with Prep Hoops and Felix Rogers with In the Gym Hoops. They, they both have different reasons for running their camps, but they both do a really good job. And the one thing I like about both of them is they're invested in the kids in camp. You know, the Fall League that I run, the Metro Indie Fall League, the Metro Indie Basketball Fall League. It'd be nice if I can get the name of my own Fall League right. The coaches that we have in that league are guys that are around the game in the state of Indiana. I'm obviously around the game in the state of Indiana. It, we're going to put time in other places to see these guys play. In, in, in the coaches' cases, they might be school coaches. They might be seeing you play during the school season, like on their schedule. But they're going to put time into promoting these kids, whether it be through social media or through their coaching contacts. Those are the types of situations that you want to look for. You don't want to be some random dude from three states away who runs a camp, and the only time you ever hear from him is, is when, it's, when it's camp time. And another guy I'll give you another exception will be is, is Adam Shoulders, who runs a really good freshman sophomore camp, usually in September, and he works at it. it is, it's an invitation-only camp. Coaches get an opportunity to, to put kids in. So I shouldn't say it's invitation only, but it's definitely invitation or coach recommendation camp. And it, that's, a, that's a top quality camp. And there's usually a lot of guys in that camp that end up having, you know, that end up making a name for themselves, you know. Um, so I, I think we've touched on that stuff as much as we need to. As it relates to the Internet and social media. And really, we've got a couple of more things to touch on before we get into the break and, and go right into the Q&A. As it gets into to social media and the Internet, obviously, the social media is fun for the kids. Sometimes it's fun for the adults. Definitely fun for me. What it, what it does is it does give us a chance to put information out there. It does give us a chance to broadcast it. You know, the kids look at it more as a communication tool, especially things like Instagram and Snapchat. That's fine. Twitter. You know, college coaches are on Twitter because they, they want to read about stuff. They're on Instagram because they want to communicate with kids and see the stuff that they're doing. And as kids get older, they sort of they sort of migrate from Instagram to, to Twitter. And then as they get into college and past college, they now all of a sudden they got Facebook pages. Remember when Facebook pages, that was the cool thing to be. Then our, hell, even my mom's on Facebook right now. So, um, you know, the, the social media aspect of it is, is – is a double-edged sword. It's a great way to get information out, but it's also a great way to get what the kids would call haters in. Now, I, I am a big believer there's no such thing as a hater. You either got people who are invested in your life or you don't. Or uh, let me say it like this. There are people who are invested in your life who criticize you constructively, who, who pat you on the back when it's deserved, and then there's people in your life that have nothing invested in you and they're just sending out information. They don't like you. They don't think you're good enough. Whatever it is, you, you got to close out those people who, who are not invested in you and, and not just the ones who are criticizing you. You've got to close out the ones who say good things about you because they're, they're no more invested in you than the ones who are hating on you. The people you need to, to listen to and worry about what they think if at all, 
are the ones who have invested time into your into your game, into your into your life, and and into your development. You know, those are the ones who are going to be constructive in their criticism. They're not just going to say you suck or that you're terrible at this. Or they're going to frame it in a way where there's there's actual methods to improve your game. You know, they're giving you some sort of implied instruction as to this is what we need to see out of you. And that's important because you're going to read a lot of things from, from scouts, you know, or people that cover the sport, me included, my, our writer, Zach Tyler included, you know, other, other writers like Trevor Andershock and, and Eric Gardner, they're going to all write things about kids that may or may not be within the range that you, you think you deserve. And they're not hating on you. They're not disbelieving in you. They're telling you from their experience what they've seen and, and what they're hearing from college coaches that, you know, you need to work on, you know, or, or that maybe you are really good at something, you know, and, and, and don't get real big headed about it. But the social media side of it can create this, this, this false aura of how important <laughs> you are in the game. I mean, it, it's great when all these fall, you get all these followers and you see kids go on recruiting visits. They'll say, Hey, what's up Bloomington? I'm coming to town. And, and, and then next thing you know, a kid commits to another school. And all of a sudden these guys who they were clamoring for attention from are now hating on him, telling him he's an idiot. We didn't want you anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the social media side of it is just, it can get ugly. And, and the positive thing is, is that, you can put out information. You can use it as a tool. And and the first thing I would do, and this would be more, well, we are in the recommendation stage of this. The first thing I would do is, is learn how to handle your notifications. Through Twitter, at least their main app, you can control whose notifications you read. You can control it to the point of only people that you follow will you see their mentions or in, in, in my case, I only see the mentions of the people that follow me because that, that means they're invested in my timeline. You know, there's a lot of people I don't follow. I'm, there's a lot of people I don't follow just because I don't may not know who they are. But if they're following me, if they're putting time in my timeline, then I want to hear from them. I don't always need to hear from some random guy who maybe have read a, a retweet or or someone liked it, or, or someone quote tweeted it. The, the people I want to hear from are the ones that invest their time in my timeline. You know, that's, it's a little tougher for kids. If I'm a kid, or I'm a parent of a player like that, I'm basically saying I only want my son to hear from people that, first of all, I'm making their account private. Second of all, I'm only wanting to hear from people they follow, because I want them to be comfortable with who they read, read, read from you know, the people that get through to their ears, because those are also the people who can, I mean, you can open your DMs to anybody, but those are also the people who can, who can communicate with your son directly, you know, and that's, you know, and, and of course the parenting side of that is making sure you understand the settings yourself. And if you have any questions about that, you can absolutely reach out to me via my Twitter at jwreamer.com or jwreamer on Twitter. Sorry. Um, or our Twitter account on our main Twitter account, courtside IND, on on Twitter. Um, 
but understand the settings and how that how that controls who can communicate with your son. It will help them get through. You know, you might have a bad game, and all of a sudden, kids from another school that you played are, are tweeting at him. He sucks. He's overrated. Whatever. You know, we got to get through that. You got to just figure out a way to. to I mean, I, it's easy for me. I'm an adult. I can take it. I don't internalize anything like that. I don't internalize things from people I don't know. Heck, sometimes I don't internalize things from people I do know. Um, but kids, they don't know how to juggle that sometimes. And we can call it bullying. We can call it whatever we want. The bottom line of it is, is as much as those guys shouldn't internalize it, internalize what thing, what strangers think of them, there are ways to control what they can read and there are ways to control who can communicate with them. And so you should, you should learn those as, as soon as you can. The other thing with social media <laughs> from the parents perspective is if you go out and search, you know, you go out and search for your son's name, you might find some bad things about him too. You might find one or two things that are really, really good, but then you might find five or six guys that don't like him as much as you do. Or hold on, let me, let me say that again. You might find five or six people who don't like your son at all, you know? And you might find some people who don't like him as much as you do. What I would do is, is I, I wouldn't be searching at all because it's, it's a tough read sometimes, you know, because obviously we all have high opinions of the people we care about. And we all have high opinions of the people that we invest time in. And if you're a parent, you're investing your life in them. We don't ever want to see bad things written about our kids. You know, the kids that we coach, the kids that are our kids. And what I've seen over the years, especially as the Internet has become more has become completely prevalent and social media has been in the last half decade, especially. Um, is these these guys will. You know, you go out looking for nice things and you just find bad things about yourself, you know, or about your child. You just have to be real careful with what you're looking for because you're, it's not going to all be sunshine and roses. Sometimes it's going to be – it's just going to be trash from people who have nothing invested in your life. And the last thing I would say about social media and the Internet is it cre- sometimes it creates a false sense of urgency. We've been talking about this for a long time. Twitter really became more prevalent in recruiting in 2012. And what happened then is you started seeing – this eighth grader, this freshman, whatever, starting getting offers. And all of a sudden parents and kids were wondering, what am I doing wrong? You know, here, this kid's getting an offer and no one's even talking to me. You know, the, the recruiting process hasn't really changed in terms of, in terms of the calendar for a long time. Sure. Open dates have come and gone. That's changed a little bit. But in terms of when you can actually sign a letter of intent, the fall and in the spring, when the recruiting process typically takes place, when it typically ends, which is the fall for a vast majority of kids, none of that has changed. And again, as I mentioned earlier, 90% of these schools and, and probably 75% of D- Division One schools recruit one class at a time. So if you're reading about somebody that you know or somebody in your son's class that's all of a sudden getting offers, getting visits, getting this, getting that, it, it doesn't mean it lessens the opportunities for your, for your son. 
you know, and, it, and it's tough. If, if you want, if you see your son playing at a school and there's three other kids at his position that are getting offers and he's not, maybe it leaves you wondering. And if you're close or, you know, the people around your son, like your coaches think he's close to that level, it can be tough sometimes. But don't let it create this false sense of urgency where you're putting pressure on him that he can't control. You're putting pressure on your coaches to why is my son not being recruited? You know, the bottom line is, is, there's way more scholarships today than there were 15 years ago, just because there's more division one schools. So I should say there's more division one scholarships today than there was 15 years ago, because there's many more division one schools. You know, every year there's more schools that come online as, as they look to capitalize on the revenue of sports, like, you know, like basketball and in some cases football, but don't let social media create this false sense of urgency for your son's recruitment. You know, just let it play out organically. And again, it goes back to the recommendation we made at the very beginning. It's not going to hurt you if you if you talk to your coaches and let them put out some feelers to see where you might be with certain programs. You know, maybe they have seen you play and they're just not quite ready yet. Maybe they haven't seen you play at all and they're looking forward to it. That that of course is that part of it's of course hindered right now. So I would lean heavily on your coaches to get that type of information and, and just completely try to ignore what you read on, on social media. Cause it can create a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I used to date a woman whose son played and she would constantly worry about so-and-so in this class was getting recruited. So-and-so in that class was getting an offer. This, this kid that played his, her son's position committed there. Why are they not, you know, why do they not recruit my kid? And it just, it was tough on her, you know, and I watched it in real time and as, as much as I could do to get to get schools, <laughs> as much as I could do to get schools in to see him play, I, I, I like to say I can get people in the gym, but I can't make them like you. You know, it, it, my job is to get kids seen. I, the rest of it's up to the kid. You know, and hopefully, hopefully school coaches are doing the same. I know most of them do. Um. And I want to summarize real quick the, the, the two main things I would or the three main things I would take from this, these recommendations. Going back to the top, take advantage of things like Huddle and Max Preps. They do an outstanding job of, of giving you tools to, to, to create content. If you're not on Huddle, if your school's not on Huddle, I would go to your AD. If your school's not putting stats on Max Preps, even when the season's over, be gentle, but go to your school coach and say, hey, can we start getting some stats put up? A lot of school coaches don't like to put stats up during the year because they don't want opponents to, to use it to scout them. That's valid. But once the school season is over, especially if they're keeping stats on, on like iPads, um, there's no reason why those stats shouldn't be up. Of course, a guy like me wants to see as many stats as he can. So it becomes, it becomes must-see you know, internet for me. You know, I enjoy looking at it as, as much as I enjoy watching game film sometimes. Um, and then the, the, the third thing to go back to is just make sure you really are in communication with your coach in, about June and how that's going to play out. You know, you, and I don't mean specifically this June, talk about any June. You don't want to just miss stuff because, you know, you're going to this weird, this odd camp or you're going some obscure, you know, June should be your school team priority. 
you know, they're going to do their job to make sure they, they put their kids in, in, you know, in, into situations with team camps. They're going to talk to coaches, make sure that they get coaches there at the, you know, in the two weekends in June where the, especially division one coaches are allowed to be, but, but those two weekends, the top 100 camp that the IBCA runs and the Charlie Hughes invitational that now the IBCA runs, those are two opportunities for coaches at all levels to watch, not just D1. NAIA, Division Two, Division Three coaches have always gone to those things, even when Division One coaches couldn't. But now that Division One coaches can be there, June becomes more important, and, and I love it. I know the NCAA was trying to crack down on this, crack down on that, and like, we're going to add two weekends in June. As just a basketball fan, June is just a month of basketball for me, and – Hopefully your kids are, are prioritizing it and, and hopefully the recruiting aspect of it helps there as well. And, and, and then to close on that, hopefully we have June this year. So um, I'm going to take another quick break. We're going to come back. I do have some questions that were put to me on, um, on Twitter as well as um, a couple of uh, emails that were sent my way. So I'm going to take a quick break. It'll probably be a couple seconds for you. It'll be five minutes for me. Thanks for listening. Okay, the final segment. Hopefully, we'll get through this quickly, and then we will move right on to Zach Tyler's um, conversation about the uh, incoming players, uh, incoming recruits to the Crossroads League. Uh, here, here are some questions that have, were asked to me over over Twitter and a couple on email. Would I recommend a post grad type prep school for kids? Um, well, it depends. First of all. 2021 may be a unique, unique case. If you feel like your recruiting has been interrupted, usually that's injury, then yeah, it, it can happen. I mean, it can be a good thing for you. I, a friend of mine's son suffered an injury his senior year. He had some Division One interest. He went to a post-grad. He went to Don Bosco up in northwest Indiana, had a great year, and was able to still get back to Division One level. Brett, uh, Hunter Christ is his name. And he was able to play for three years at Wisconsin Green Bay. And, and now he's, he's a grad transfer. What I wouldn't expect from prep school is for all of a sudden you're recruiting to just completely, utterly jump and change a level. And again, it goes back to being realistic. You, your ceiling doesn't change because you go to prep school. Okay. Your, your floor might change. But a lot of times, colleges are really looking at your ceiling. And, you know, if you're a late maturing kid physically, I'll give you an example of one that Carmel has is Brian Waddell. Um, we'll be, we'll be, we talked a little bit about him. Um, th I think we did. Hopefully. If not, I screwed up. Um, but that's a kid that, He's got a lot of Division One skill set, a lot of Division One skills in his skill set, and his body may end up needing an extra year, but he he's got a nice ceiling. Now, so if if that's your situation where it's physical maturation, you know another kid, Hunter Huffine or um, Patrick Huffine from Chittard, um, class two thousand fifteen. You know he spent, he didn't grow much. He didn't definitely didn't start to fill out until the end of his senior year, and by then you sort of 
work your way into some preconceived notions. And, and it's sometimes it's hard to beat a first impression, you know, and it's not like Shatar doesn't get people in those doors to watch him play. And he ended up going to Don Bosco again. And he ended up getting a couple of division two. I mean, he ended up getting a lot of division two opportunities and ended up taking one of them. And, and that's definitely another situation that's worked out for the better. So if, if your recruiting has been interrupted, you know, then it's, it's not a bad idea to consider it, but it's, it's also, you're just, you're, you're not going to see a huge jump in your recruitment. I just, I don't believe in it unless, unless you're dealing with an injury situation. Of course, that's the interruption or unless you're dealing with like a physical maturation thing where, you know, your opportunities maybe might be able to change if, when you start to, you know, you start to fill out, you know, maybe you grow two or three more inches. Um, I don't remember what that situation was with, with Patrick, but, but that's, those are two instances, recent in, instances where it's really worked out. Um, would I recommend a junior college? And I, what I, what I take that to mean is what I recommend a junior college for a non or for a qualifier. And the answer is, is two things. One, it really depends on what your academic goals are. You know, um, if you're an Ivy League, if you you know if you got Ivy League grades and Ivy League credentials or or Patriot League credentials, uh, probably not. You're probably going to be at some point putting academics over athletics, even though those are wonderful Division One opportunities. You know, um, it really depends on what you want out of college. And you know, junior college is, for a lot of kids is a great place to start. A lot of non-athletes, especially, is a great place to start. It's cheaper. Um, you, you get great work on your early you know on your early curriculum um but a lot of times for basketball players for athletes they use it to get re-recruited a little bit playing at a collegiate playing collegiate talent and in some cases they have to go that route but dealing with just the kids who don't have to go that route but choose to again two recent situations jordan geist from penn and homestead where he won a state championship with homestead and then uh then Josiah Wallace, who was from Marshall, Illinois, both those guys went the junior college route as freshmen to get re-recruited. Josiah went to Eastern Illinois after one year at Olney, had a great year at Olney, has had a great career at um, at Eastern Illinois. Um, Jordan Geis went to Ranger in Texas, played for Billy Gillespie, you know, and then he had a chance to get recruited by Missouri and went there. And that's a kid that played for me. His father and I both sort of surprised at his at how he did at Missouri. And basically the kid did everything he could to get on the floor. And through a coaching change, he continued to play. I mean, Coach Martin, Conzo Martin, really just couldn't keep him off the floor. Um you know, th those are obviously situations where junior colleges work for kids that, that need to get re-recruited. Another instance that's worked is, um, is Jalen Moore from Cloverdale. Again, he went to Olney, had a great year there, and um, ended up, you know, having an opportunity. Now he's at um, Oakland after one year at, at Olney. Um, another instance of, of – um, Oh, well, th those are just the qualifiers. Obviously, kids that have trouble, that are having issues qualifying, 
junior junior college is the way they have to go. Uh, one question posed to me, would I recommend being a walk-on at a, like a bigger school versus a scholarship, um, having a scholarship and playing at a lower level? A again, it really depends on what you want out of it after college. You've got a situation where you know, if, if you want to be a coach after college, sometimes it's better to be that walk-on at a high major. Because you're establishing that relationship, especially with your work ethic, it's not easy being a walk-on. You barely get to play. Every now and then you see stories about kids that get to play, get scholarships, or starters, whatever you want to have. It's great. vast majority of them don't play. vast majority of I would say a majority of them don't last. You know? But you can bet a little loose at Purdue, Coach Painter would do anything for him. You know, Johnny Jager at Indiana gave up, had a great freshman year at Wabash, went to Indiana, and is now is, is part of their assistant staff there. He's not an assistant coach, but he's definitely part of their support staff at Indiana. Those are resume builders. So it really just depends on what you want. Um, th there is a competitiveness side, a competitive side to this as well. Um, but, you know, if you want to play, and, it, and in some cases, if you want to use it, to be able to, you know, financially subsidize your education. Um, it, it's, it's, I'm going to recommend taking that scholarship because there's nothing better than graduating from college without debt. Now, in the instance of, of Jager, he, his academics were so good, I'm assuming he got some money. I should know that, and I'm sorry that I don't. Um, but, you know, that that's a situation where, he was more interested in what was going to happen with, with his with basketball opportunities after college than he was with playing. Plus, he's from Bloomington, so that didn't, that didn't hurt. Um, but more times than not, I'm going to recommend playing and taking that scholarship, even if you're going to a Division three school. Odds are, if you're getting a lot of playing time you're, or you're being heavily recruited by Division three schools, they're doing a pretty good job of getting you money. Even though they can't call it an athletic scholarship, they're doing a pretty good job of making sure that your transcript, your resume, your like grants and scholarships from the school, scholarships you can apply to that aren't athletic, they're doing a good job of making sure they squeeze as much money in your direction as possible. Uh, what of my thoughts on AAU tryouts? You know, I'm not a big believer in cattle calls. Um, definitely not a believer in paying for them. Um, I've been pretty sp outspoken on that. Those are simply ways to make money for somebody, and and, and, I'll, and I don't. It's not not being critical. That's fine. Uh, it's not how I would do it. I I'm more of the workout guy. More of the get four four to six guys in, really coach them up, see who's coachable, see how they mesh with other kids. You know, and then maybe at the end of it, when you get a when that roster is being formed, you might have, I don't know, 12 to 14 kids for 10 spots. You know, maybe it comes down to that. Uh, there's certain levels. I don't, I don't have any, we don't have any tryouts. We're just recruiting kids. When you go to those large cattle call tryouts, you're not trying out to be on their top team. They know 
they, they know who they want to. Maybe there's one kid a year that gets an opportunity, and I'm sure I'll hear from somebody saying, no, you're wrong, this happened and that happened. That's fine. But for the most part, they know who they want. They know who they want there. Probably all those guys aren't paying to try out where, you, where your kid is. So just be real careful with that. And again, it's how do you hear about the tryout? How do you get invited to that tryout? You know, um, if it's just a mass mailer, they're basically just trying to get, use it as a moneymaker and fill other types of teams. How do all these players in the transfer portal impact recruiting? <laughs> this, this is one of my favorite ones. This is one of my favorite subjects right now because the post-grad transfer rule, though well-intentioned, I don't know of any school, any college coach that likes it, even the ones that use it, even the ones that rely on it. I don't know that anybody likes it. It's abused. It's definitely not used for the reason it was intended to be used for. And while some feel it's okay, college guys get a chance to go here and play or do this, whether it's to go up to a bigger school and get a bigger opportunity or it's to go to a lower school and get more playing time or, or however they f- want to frame it, at the end of the day, it muddle, mucks up the process to the point where it, it hurts the high school kids. And, you know, that's – you get a lot of colleges that put the recruiting process on hold. We, you know, we talked earlier about schools – you know, a vast majority of schools are, are recruiting one year at a time. Sometimes they're recruiting seniors deep into their senior year because they're still making decisions on grad transfers, whether they're going to lose somebody or whether they're going to get somebody, you know, and they're kind of holding out. Uh, and I don't blame them. They're looking at these guys as ready-made players, whereas they're freshmen, they, they want to mix. And I get that. Um but my job, especially as it comes to the kids I coach, is to get them scholarship opportunities. It, it's not to worry about the grad transfer. It's not to worry about, especially the grad transfer that's already transferred. That they need to get a, they need to get rid of that rule. But what the NCAA is is going to vote on here later, um, I, I don't know when if it's sometime in May, is whether or not to allow kids to have one free transfer without sitting a year. So basically, it's it's going to open up an opportunity where it's just basically college basketball free agency. And you're going to have a lot of kids after their freshman and sophomore year, especially whether they're grads or not transfer and be able to play right away. And that's really going to impact high school recruiting. And it's unfortunate. Now, again, it doesn't change the number of scholarships available. We've talked about that. It's just shuffling the chairs in the deck of the Titanic, but it's still, impacts decision-making and decision-making processes. And that can oftentimes put kids in limbo. And and unfortunately, it's the 17 and 18-year-olds that are going through this recruiting process who are put in limbo. And for a lot of them, it's their first time going through it. It's the first time their parents have gone through it. And it's tough. And it takes us all the way back through this, you know, the social media stuff and sense of urgency, et cetera, so forth. At, at that point, you're like, well, crap. You know, who do you really believe in that's sincere about your kid? Um, not that colleges aren't sincere, but, you know, their their job is to win games so the coach can keep their job. You know, so I'm not blaming them. Again, I, I would tell you now, most of those coaches don't, don't like the rule. I've not heard of one that does. Um, 
the one thing of well, the one ounce of control they really have is is it's they got a captive audience when they're when you're a college coach because it's it's tough to consider leaving when you're going to have to sit a year. Will this, I assume COVID, will the COVID-19 shutdowns impact someone like Christian Lander's decision to reclassify? I, I mean, it shouldn't. If he's seriously in, interested in doing that, then he should be able to take care of the rest of his academics that he needs. I don't know in particular if there's something that was offered that now isn't offered to him. Um but I know of no reason why he wouldn't be able to continue down that path if that's the way he wanted to go. And one last question, how do I feel the lack of a state tournament has impacted recruiting? And that's a good question, and it kind of goes back to my grad transfer thing. There's a lot of guys who have amazing runs in the state tournament that turn some heads, you know, and, and, you know, and, and they, they lose the opportunity to play on big stages, especially the small school kids. You know, this is the biggest stage some of these kids get to play on, the regionals, the semi-state, and then definitely the state. You know, and not even AAU can compare to that. Um, I mean, certain competitive levels, athletically, sure, smaller school kids are going to get more competition. The better ones that are on, you know, top-level teams are going to get more competition in the summer, physical competition. Again, that's the key, physical competition. But in terms of handling pressure, playing on a big, playing in front of a large audience, playing for your community, playing for your school. Uh, it doesn't get more pressure-filled than that. And if you can succeed in that situation, odds are you're going to turn the heads of some college coaches who didn't, who weren't otherwise recruiting you up to that point. So there's going to be – even these 2020 kids now are impacted by this. You know, and, and, you know, and maybe it's the difference between, you know, Indiana Wesleyan or, or Marion or, or St. Francis or IU Kokomo or IU East – you know, recruiting these guys, taking a chance on a kid they, they weren't recruiting up to this point because they loved how they competed in the biggest time of their life so far. Um, but, you know, you're, it's, it's also giving – it's also eliminating opportunities for guys like Caleb First. Can he repeat? Guys like Trey Kaufman, Cooper Jacoby, can they repeat, you know? Could Carmel in a, quote, rebuild year get all the way to the state finals again? And that would help guys like Peter Suter and, and Brian Waddell, you know, who get a chance to turn some heads, you know. Um, you know, so, again, Zach and I have talked in different contexts about how this has basically created a, a class of lost opportunities. Um, and this would be the final one of them, would be the opportunity to, to plan a big stage and, and maybe get some extra exposure that way, especially for these seniors. But – you know, um, it um, kind of done with the the Q and A part now. Sorry for that that bad transition, but hopefully we're back on schedule basketball wise for June. I wouldn't completely rule out May, but I don't know from a recruiting standpoint that that's going to have a huge impact. the The goal for me would be hopefully these guys get to have a full June with their school teams. Again, those crowds aren't very big. Those workouts can be pretty isolated. Uh, of course, schools will have to open back up for that to happen. Um, so we'll see. And then hopefully we're getting a full month of AAU in July. Now that we're starting to see some stuff leak out about August, uh, that might be so, uh, appealing, but that'll be played 
you know, not in front of college coaches because those guys aren't allowed out in August. But um, that's when we get back to recruiting services and, and scouts and people like rivals and 24-7 and, and, you know, people that cover college teams getting a chance to get out and watch kids and, and writing about them. So uh, hopefully that's answered a lot of your questions. Hopefully it wasn't too long. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to hit, reach out to me on Twitter. J.W. Reamer, that's J-W-R-E-A-M-E-R, that's my Twitter handle, Courtside I-N-D is our other Twitter, is our main Twitter handle, and if you really want to just basketball content, follow that one, if you want (laughs) my machinations on Twitter, feel free to follow me, would love to have you, Zach Tyler is, um, let me get to that real quick, I think I'd know his Twitter handle, maybe I don't. Um, and now my Twitter's locked up, but anyway, I'll get to Zach's, uh, Twitter handle for you at the end of the podcast. And right now we're going to turn it over to Zach. He is going to talk to you about incoming recruits to the Crossroads league. Again, thank you for your time. And thank you for listening to the courtside Indiana podcast. Here's Zach. Um, all right, moving now to talk about the Crossroads league. I think this is something that we're going to make part of our site. And, and part of our coverage of the league is Zach is been involved with Bethel who sort of unofficial capacity working pretty closely with the Lightfoot family. And, and he can even expand on that if, if there's more to it than just that. But want to talk about the new course to the Crossroads League. And really, man, this is just going to be your segment. So you go with it. We get the guy. We start getting the guys that I have questions about. I'll ask you. And like you said, if there's if there's somebody that's maybe from this area that I've had a lot of chance to see, then then maybe I'll get a chance to add on it. But go ahead, Zach, with with the Crossroads League and some of the the newcomers that uh, Crossroads League fans should look forward to seeing this year. Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's start at Indiana Wesley and just go down the the gamut here and knock some of these guys out. Uh, I was bringing in Taysen Parker. From Northwestern, we kind of talked about him before, yep. really athletic guard. And then they're also bringing in Dylan Alderson from Toledo. So uh, not necessarily a high school guy we're familiar with around here, but uh, I've heard he's a really good player, and he's from Michigan originally. So, And I was always good about bringing in transfers like that, it seems like. Um, bump it down to Marion, down with you. They're bringing – Oh, go ahead. So, how much, real quick? How much do we, do we think Parker will get a lot of minutes as a freshman? Um, I think there's a chance he can contribute. There, he's got a couple guards ahead of him, but potentially defensively, I think it might be where he could step in a little bit. We'll see, though. Uh, the uh, and the and the only other kid they're bringing in. At least from a scholarship perspective, is the kid from Toledo, huh? Yeah, that's the only two I I came up with for now. Okay, they're always they always have something brewing. It seems like, and they keep things pretty close to their chest too, on what they're trying to do. Yeah, that's true. They they might sneak in a D one guy. Yeah, a D one transfer here. You never know. Another one, yeah. Uh, go down to Marion by you, bringing in Gizzy, Malik, and uh, Rowan Farrell. I feel like it's a really solid class for them. Uh, you Malik can, Edmonds. Right? Yeah, Malik Edmonds. You can yeah. speak on those two, on him and Max Gizzy. All three of them, really. Yeah. Um, I've seen Rowan play. Actually, I loved him when I saw him his junior year, but then before he got hurt. 
Yeah, that's he's a kid that I loved him when he was younger just because he shot the ball so well. Yeah. And and then Malik, his game, he he's not a drive guy, but he's definitely a guy that, that can pick and pop. He's definitely a guy who can post in, in, the, in that league. And his outside shots has improved year to year. And, you know, I think he ends up being a pretty versatile forward for him, for, I would, for Coach Hetty. Yeah, there. I agree. And Gizzy's a kid that, I mean, if you want to win games, he's just a kid you have. I mean, he's a, he's extremely intelligent on the floor, shooting the ball better as he's gotten older. Definitely. And just an incredible, yeah, just an incredible decision maker and, and really, really wants to win. Dad was a player and, too, right? Um, his dad played. His mom, people are going to know his mom more. Sarah Haynes, probably one of the, definitely one of the best girls player, you know, of her era. And, you know, and then his uncle, Noah Haynes, led the state in scoring his senior year at Frontier. I think it was his senior year. But definitely led the state in scoring one year when he was at Frontier. And then I think Sarah met Mike in college, and then Mike played overseas for, I don't know, the better part of a decade maybe. And then they moved back here as a family. I When, I don't know. I just remember hearing of Max when he was a seventh grader. and. Okay. And going over, and that being an age group I was involved with, I went over and watched him play, and uh, I liked him then. I've liked him ever since. Definitely, definitely tough-nosed player, too. Uh, I'm going to move down to Grace College. They're bringing in Jake Wadding, uh, Will Geiger. They just got a couple guys here recently, got with Geiger and then Frankie, big one Frankie Davidson coming in from Indy. Uh, and then they're also bringing Elijah Malone. He's a post from Prairie Heights up here. Uh, so some pretty good gets for Grace. They they had a good off season here. Now who do you Wading Wading to me is a little better than Geiger. Okay. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, different players, but yeah, Wading yeah. definitely different than Geiger. I think uh, Wadding's done a better job of expanding his game the last I, couple of years. I would agree, and I could see him making an impact over Geiger for like first uh, Frankie obviously he'll play he'll come and play right away I would, I would think and then they've still got Deaton they've and, still got Deaton and Jennings correct and, and Jennings two guys two guys near and dear to my heart um, two kids that seem to win a lot of basketball games so you know that's not a bad deal for them that, that's that's a, I love Wadding I, mean, I don't I, I like Geiger I just Wadding's a kid that I really liked. I just love his motor. Oh, and, definitely. And again, that's, that's no slide, slide on Geiger. I've just seen Wadding play more. Right, right. Um, moving over to St. Francis now. Uh, they're bringing in Dan McKeeman, bringing him back. He was at Cedarville last year, transferred back home. He was from Fort Wayne. Carroll. Uh, Brayton Bailey, I haven't seen him play. And then you and I talked about Dorian Hatton before also. So probably a right. couple guys you'd be able to talk more about than I would. Well, Hatton's a kid that he's, he went to, he's graduated from Lawrence North, and he's he's a kid that at, at a lot of other schools he's a featured player, you know, or and, and a starter. I mean, he's a he's six foot three, six foot four, and and pretty skilled. Uh, shoots the ball decently well. You know, and and things I think that if he was in a different situation, again, not a, not a criticism. No, not at all. If he was in a 
if he was in a different situation, you know, there would have been more onus on his development, you know, and needing him to score, needing him to make plays. And, and you know, he's going to be one of those guys that has a chance to have a better college career than he did a high school career. And But when you're at Lawrence North and you're, you're playing behind, you know, just this year alone, you're playing behind two Division One wings and, and you're also playing behind, you know, you're going to get in and, and give DJ Hughes a little bit of a rest, you know, and even if you're going to play four or five guards at a time, I, you know, it's just it wasn't in a situation where he was even when he's in the game, he's not going to get a lot of shots, sure. a lot of usage because those other guys are going to soak it up. And, you know, you just look at the opportunities he's had. He turns around and he's got two juniors playing ahead of him. He's got a sophomore playing ahead of him. I mean, this is a kid that. Hell, even if he had gone to Lawrence Central, Lawrence Central wasn't as deep as LN. Probably gets more run if he goes to LC. And he just – but, you know, it's a kid that grew up in that system and and no reason for him to change if he's going to be able to get the, the type of schooling he wants there and the type of basketball he wants. And, and it pays off because he's going to go play in the best NAIA league conference in the country. Definitely. So no no comp- no complaints there. Definitely. And obviously Brayton is uh is Damon's yeah. Damon's son. Yeah. I mean <laughs> look the kid the kid busts his butt. You know, he's I, I don't think people really understood how athletic his dad was coming out of high school. Um I don't think there's there's all kind of stories about how you, know, you look at those IU teams with Chris Reynolds and Calvert Cheney and, and Jamal Meeks and, and all those dudes and Damon Bailey's winning sprints and and it's not like when you're running sprints for bob knight you slough it you know you you're running sprints you're probably being micromanaged every step of the way and he's beating everybody and you know it was the one of the more underrated things was how athletic his dad was now Braden comes in huge shoes to fill and and i've had a chance to meet both and, and really have had a chance to talk to damon quite a bit and and couldn't have handled it at least in public, you know, who knows what happens at home, <laughs> you know, uh, right. but at least in public handle it very well. Never, never seemed overbearing, never seemed to push his kid in situations that, that he, you know, that he shouldn't be pushing him into or, or always wanted Braden to make a name for himself. And that's hard to do for any parent. And it would be hard to do if, if you were that guy, you know, and, Definitely. and Definitely. you know, Damon was a kid that was an early maturing kid, and I think that if he could have maybe been a little bit more athletic, a little bit more consistent of a shooter, able to create a little bit more. I mean, he just does a lot of things well. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and just – you know, I think he's at a good level, and I think he's going to find that that's that's extremely competitive level of basketball, and 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 I'm I'm happy that he seems to be really happy with where he's going because Chad Lacrosse does a really good job up there. They've obviously had a lot of success, and you know he's gonna he's gonna get a chance to contribute to a really positive situation. Oh, for sure, without a doubt. Um, we can move on to uh, we'll go up north to Spring Arbor. They're bringing in some Indiana kids. They usually do. Uh, bringing in Dylan Stafford from Muncie Central, uh, Hayden Jones from over here by me at East Noble, and then uh, a guy named Davian Bulwar, Bulware from Michigan. Uh, 
Hayden's going to be a solid guard for them. I see in the future. Uh, Dylan, I can't speak much about. You know, what do you know about Dylan? Say which one was that again? I'm sorry. Dylan Stafford from Muncie. From Muncie. Oh, from Muncie Central. Yeah. yeah. Uh, excellent shooter. Excellent shooter. And and I think all around, not not a primary ball handler, but a good enough ball handler. To you know, he's probably going to play more of a two up there at that league. Uh-huh. Um, but I really, the, the kid works his butt off. He's a gym rat, and I've just one thing is he's definitely got the range to be effective at a lot of levels. He's he's a heck, he's an outside he's an outstanding outside shooter. All right, good deal. Um, we'll move to Huntington now. They're going through a coaching change currently. I've heard they're down to the top three. I won't drop any names here for you. Uh, Come on. (laughs) uh, As far as I've heard, they're also keeping commits like Mitchell Wilson from Columbia City and uh, Ben, oh, can't think of his last name now, Humrias from Tipton. Oh, yeah. The big, I I didn't get to see him play this year either, but uh, those are the only two that I am aware of. But I've heard they're both staying, so we'll see. Did you want to touch on? Not. Yeah, I you know what I didn't see Tipton this year. That's a rarity for me. That's just kind of the mothership. That's where my family's from. So usually, usually I'm at a couple of their games. Uh, still have friends and family in the community. So um, did not get a chance to see them this year. And um, you know, they're the one guy they've got that I know a lot about is is Brett Middlesworth, and and I know he's having an outstanding career up there. Kid that I thought was a little under recruited. But uh, certainly enjoying his time up there, both uh, from a school perspective and a basketball perspective. Definitely, a Middlesworth would have been a kid we would have talked about a couple of years ago, being under under recruited for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we can get back to that coaching change later too, if you wanted to. We can touch on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put anybody. I don't want to put anybody out if we're not ready to name names yet. <laughs> But you get you seem to get the inside scoop on the crossroad stuff pretty, yeah. pretty well. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll go to Bethel now. Bethel's got a lot of changes going on, actually. Lost a couple kids. Uh, and Jacob Johnson's coming in from down over by Cincinnati. And then Trent Edwards from Northwood so far is who they've got coming in. Uh, yeah, I saw him commit the other day. Yeah, and he's a really good glue guy, good Christian kid he'll work his tail off at, at Bethel also. And then Jacob Johnson, I'm not, I know he can shoot it a little bit, but I don't really know much about his game. From Oldenburg? Yeah. Is that who we're talking about? Yep. Oh yeah. He's a nice player. Yeah. He's, he, he's a kid that, um, again, does a lot of things well. And I, I think his shooting will be primarily what he does at college. I think he's, um, I don't, I don't see him, well, I, again, the times I saw him play mostly uh, were in the fall when they played up here in the fall league. Him and the the Yoon kids from Lawrenceburg are three kids in that area that have come up and and you know they've, they've done very well at Oldenburg. So I've just seen him play when it when he's what he's done here is he's shot the ball extremely well, and then he's done a lot of other things. And I think primarily he'll be a cat, especially early on, where his shooting will will probably get him on the court. Sure. 
Okay, and we can move to Taylor from there. Uh, Taylor looks like they're just bringing in one for now, uh, a guard from Ohio, uh, that which they're definitely going to need with uh, Degan Kolb and Robinson graduating. They need to fill that guard spot quick. Um, and then Mount Vernon and, and Goshen are our last two teams. Uh, Mount Vernon's not bringing any Indiana kids as of now. They have a good de a decent looking class coming in from what I've seen from Ohio and Michigan kids and then also just got a guard or a, I'm sorry, a forward from the Netherlands coming in, so that'll be interesting. And then Goshen, I I didn't see or haven't heard any noise from their neck of the woods. They're usually good about bringing in some JUCOs and transfer kids though. How much do you think I mean, we talk an awful lot about, and we've we've just, and I've probably this will play after the the recruiting stuff that that I talk about as far as the recruiting process go and how it's being impacted by COVID nineteen. How do you think it's impacting recruiting at for the Crossroads Leagues community? Do you, do you feel like they've they're behind a little bit, or have they gotten kids committed a little sooner? I mean, what's, what's been your view of that? I mean, some of these kids obviously committed, you know, during the season. Sure. So they committed long before there was a stoppage of play. But but we talk a lot about outside of really the high majors and maybe some schools from multi-bid leagues recruit one class at a time. And for these non-D1 schools, most of it's – after Christmas right. is when they start getting decisions. They start getting commitments right. after Christmas. And, and some of these guys go deep into the spring, still recruiting guys, Definitely. even some kids that, that are unsigned who, who even play an extra couple months of AAU. You know, these are the kind of guys that they're still looking at. Do you, do you think that they've really been impacted or do you feel like these, they're kind of where they normally are? Um, you, you know what? A little of both. I feel like with, with these schools having to go with their virtual tours of campus and stuff now and not getting kids on, on campus, uh, especially maybe like transfer wise, it's tough because you really want to see a kid come in and play a little bit, you know what I mean? In an open gym or something before you kind of commit to them, unless you really know them and that. And then I feel like with the NAI going to one division now, it's going to make things different for a lot of these schools. Um, competing athletic wise and scholarship wise. How going to one division, how's that change? What, how does that change the scholarship structure of these, of these programs? Is it, uh, has it increased what they can give? Correct. I believe it increases because <clears throat> let me see. I know. I think you can do, I think they're doing eight. Is what is what I want to say. At all levels. At the I mean, at, at NAI now, yes. All uh, teams, all teams across the board. Eight. I believe if you can afford eight, you can, you're going to get eight. So the equivalent of eight at, the, at that level, most don't know. The Division one level, it's your scholarships all or nothing. You're either a scholarship or a walk on. There's no partials. Lower levels, they start mixing in financial aid. They start mixing in Pell grants. Yep. Yep, um, you can break scholarships up and stuff, right? Scholarships, right, can be split up. And, and in some cases, you know, they their attraction is, hey, we let you keep your Pell Grant. And, you know, in other cases, they make it part of their package. But 
so when they you when you say they've got eight, they have eight scholarships for which they can they can pick apart and right. offer in different directions. Right. And they can offer as many as and that's as they want. that's if the school you're working at as a coach is allowing that. Oh, really? Yes. So there's some schools that some don't let them do that. Don't get all the all scholarships, right? I mean, they don't get all of them at all, or they don't they don't get to split them up. Well, from my familiarity is that they don't get all of the scholarships. Really? Yeah. And you think it's what do we are we are we saying which crossroads leagues teams those are? We're <laughs> we not doing that. Yeah. Your call. <clears throat> from what I've heard, and this plays in kind of with the Huntington the Huntington opening, I'll I'll say them. Yeah. I've heard that they they're sticking with six. Really? To, and that would be to break up like you mentioned. That's what I have yeah. that's what I have heard. So you can and, see how that can I, be difficult to, to compete with the Iwoos and the Marians of the world when they're using all they they can use an unlimited amount of scholarships. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the other thing too is, a lot of times they get academics play a big role in this. So Definitely. if a kid comes up with a certain grade point average, some of that money comes directly from the school, and it doesn't come at all from their scholarships. So, you know, a school, the situation I was dealing with. Um, oh, I'm gonna have to think about this now. I don't think it was. It may have been. It may have been Holy Cross up in um up near you well up near you yeah up in yeah, yep south bend right here and in dealing with logan white with a kid that played for me that ended up going to wabash and and a lot of his money that was coming from the school or a lot of the money that was going to logan was coming straight from the school and the basketball team wasn't going to have to chip in as much to to get him up there definitely and at the at the end of the day, he chose Wabash because Wabash was able to figure out a way to pretty much get him in for. I mean, my memory serves me correctly. He was basically going to Wabash for thirty cents in the dollar. And you're talking D three, who doesn't do athletic scholarships, correct? And right, and that's and that's the other thing. If that's as, at that level, recruiting wise, is the same that I just mentioned as far as. They start with, okay, what's your grade point average? What's your test score? This is how much your grade point average and your test score will get you from our school. And none of that is, none of it is athletics related. Now, does that somehow get worked around at the Division three level? I would be shocked if it didn't. You know, if you're a kid who could throw a football or make a shot, I'm, I'm guessing you might get a little bit extra thrown your way. Sure. Um, but it's definitely not in the guise of, of an athletic scholarship. So – yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I hadn't had forgotten about the fact that NAI is just going to one level now. So national tournament wise, this past year there was it was still two levels, right? Correct. So we had nine teams from Indiana. Yep. Right in the final sixteen. Yeah. And I, I don't think people understand how competitive that NAI level is. Oh, definitely. And you know, and it and it's. And again, the recruiting process that that we've talked about here, you know, a lot of these schools don't get much traction until these kids are seniors. I mean, Indiana Wesleyan has recently been recruiting kids, you know, and getting good responses from kids when they're during their junior year. Marion's starting to do it more. St. Francis kind of comes and goes with that, the ability to really start getting kids interested when they're when they're a junior. 
Um, but a lot of these other schools, and I don't know about the two, was it two schools or three schools that are out of state? Um, a lot of these other schools really don't get much interest from kids until their senior season starts. Yeah. You know, maybe their senior year, but their senior seasons when D1 schools aren't really calling them. You know, we've gone through the summer of AAU, we've gone through the fall, and there's not a whole lot going on. And and I know this is rehashing something that's going to that people have already listened to, but we're recording this on a different night. You, you know, so we're we're sort of touch talking like two different conversations here, but um you know, the, the Crossroads League is, and with, with more and more kids transferring down from D2 and, and D1. Yeah, for sure. You know, you're you're getting a lot of talented kids uh, that really are just looking to play. Oh, without and a doubt. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what the, the, one, the one division now, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts transfers. Um, because I know a lot of those, quote, Division One. NAI schools were getting a lot of D1 guys because that's just they're running out of options. Yeah, you know you can only you know kids that don't want to sit oftentimes ended up at NAI schools, and of course now with the NCAA possibly considering giving kids a one-time transfer without sitting, throw on top of that grad transfers, you do probably get fewer and fewer kids, maybe. You get fewer and fewer kids who need NAIA if they if they don't want to sit. Um, but who knows? There may also be some kids that get closed out because their options get taken up by somebody else. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Oh, for sure it will. Um, I I know I've enjoyed the NAI teams in this con- you know in this conference. I've seen Iwu play and Marion play a decent amount. Um, although I didn't see either this year. But I had opportunities to see them play, and um, and those are the teams along with St. Francis that have just had a lot of success lately, and and really, really like how well they recruit. They get they get a chance to recruit Indiana kids, and that's a big part of their success. So, Zach, anything else to add on the Crossroads in, incoming classes of the Crossroads teams? Um, I don't think tonight. No, we'll we'll have to talk about that hunting, tonight, no. the Huntington situation. Uh, a little more sometime maybe good well hopefully um we'll know who's coaching them next time by this week by this time next week hopefully we'll know who's coaching indianapolis by this time next week and hopefully iupui will have a coach by this time next week although that's doubtful <laughs> so uh indianapolis is going to be the interesting one there, there's some definitely a favorite on hand but then i heard today there's a couple of d1 assist other d1 assistants we're looking at it and um i don't know how often we're going to be in the process of of uh scooping people on coaching hires but um at the very least it'll be interesting to see how deep some of those names get but but that's it for tonight is um we th- th- appreciate the information on the crossroads teams we've had a chance to talk about that those incoming kids we've also had a chance to talk about the recruiting process in the in the wake of basically spring being can- spring basketball being canceled, and uh, I think that about does it for our podcast this evening. Uh, this is Courtside Indiana podcast. You can look for us to recording at least every Monday night and publishing on Tuesdays, and then every now and then we'll have a special one, like we had this one today. So, uh, Zach, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, 
for hanging around and talking again. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that'll do it. Take care, guys. Thank you.